You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your bespectacled curmudgeon, Ethan Hatcher, producer Jack on the board. And tonight, I'm dismayed to tell you that California policies seem to have made their way to the threshold of Indiana. And I'm, of course, referring to a story that broke this week about the Department of Child Services, which appears to have seized a teenager from their home, placing them into foster care for a year and a half because the parents didn't affirm their gender pronouns, which is absolutely preposterous. And if true, necessitate intervention from the General Assembly to codify that in the state of Indiana, it is not by law a matter of child abuse to refuse to participate in uh, affirming your child's mental disorder. But as much as I'm ashamed to admit it, it seems Todd Rakita was absolutely right when he said the left is alive and well, even in the state of Indiana, and seeking to replace parental authority using the power of the state and divide a wedge between you and your children. Uh, the left is not only active in Indiana, of course, but across the entire country. And really what this is about is creating chaos and division in our society. This is about dividing children from their parents. It's, it, it's, a, it's a lot more than just bathrooms and locker rooms. Uh, and, and I can give you example after example of the Democrats and the left and uh, led by, and in many cases in the courtroom by the ACLU which has nothing to do with civil rights anymore or America to begin with. It's over. We are screwed. I mean, if this if this is something that's going on in the state of Indiana and can't be put a stop to, I'm not sure there's much hope left for the rest of the country. My goodness. I mean, if if this turns out to be true now, the Catholic couple, Mary and Jeremy Cox, are seeking the uh, Supreme Court to hold the state accountable for keeping the child out of their home. And according to the own state, their the, the own state's findings, um, as I understand it, they're investigation did not substantiate any allegations of child abuse. So taking away this teenager from their home is unacceptable, according to, uh, and this is the story according to Mary and Jeremy Cox as they tell it. We didn't pursue an affirmational approach with our child because first, as Christians, we believe God created us as male and female. As parents, it's our job to help our children to reach their full potential. And the only way we feel to do that is to raise our children through our Christian beliefs. Secondly, we didn't go with the affirmational approaches because we did a lot of research on this subject. There's, there are many different approaches. We spoke to multiple mental health care providers and ultimately decided that affirmation was not going to help our child. 
Beckett is the law firm that's representing the couple in MC and JC versus Indiana Department of Child Services. And Lori Windham said, if this can happen in Indiana, it can happen anywhere. Tearing a child away from loving parents because of their religious beliefs, which are shared by millions of Americans, is an outrage to the law, parental rights, and basic human decency. If the Supreme Court doesn't take this case, how many times will this happen to other families? And yes, I do think that, again, if this is true, it would be necessary for the General Assembly to intervene here and not just the Supreme Court to retroactively uh, apply justice, but rather a preventative measure codifying it into law to protect other parents in the future. Now, the, the situation is not completely black and white because it seems, and again, this is a, uh, the story according to the Coxes themselves, this child is now no longer just a teenager, but a legal adult. And if that's the case, then they are free to make their own choices regardless of how Mary and Jeremy feel about it. When our son was removed, it was like someone pulled the rug out from underneath us. Um, As a father, I believe one of my main goals is to keep my children safe. And I can't do that when the state comes into our house and takes our kid because we can't, in good conscience, affirm his transgender ideology. His disappearance made a, a huge hole in our hearts and our family, but we will always love him and pray for him. Our child was out of our home for 17, 18 months altogether, ultimately aging out of the foster care system. We were able to visit with him at his discretion basically for about two to three hours each week. And the reality of the situation is that in an adult relationship between parents and children, yes, it is ultimately at their discretion. Um, Now, it's still unacceptable for the state to intervene and rob these parents of a year and a half uh, in their home inculcating their child with their belief system, regardless of how that child may have felt about it. Um, And and this, this, this incursion on parental rights cannot stand especially in the state of Indiana, which is absolutely ridiculous. Now, there may be more to the story, as I understand it. And later in the show next hour, Tony Kennett is going to join the program, and he's going to give us some more insight into this story and some details that maybe aren't being put forward in the general reporting. But if this is true, then it's completely unacceptable, especially in a state like Indiana, for the state to intervene and then subsist parental authority is absolutely obscene. Um, Now, of course, uh, according to these parents, uh, the, in addition to just general uh, gender dysphoria, their child also experienced an eating disorder, and they attempted to receive therapy for both. So, uh, from conventional medical uh, treatment. So, you know, th- this, by all appearances and by the current reporting, appeared to be a loving family uh, who whose uh, child was taken away from them, even in the state of Indiana, which is appalling. And something that we talked about on the show last week is how in the Department of Education. The DEI policies have infected everything, and we can, uh, you know, uh, uh, project here that some of that may have touched and influenced uh, this child's thinking. Uh, Miguel Cardona, Secretary of Education, saying uh, we played it last week how DEI policy is infecting literally everything 
they do at the Department of Education. What an honor to serve as Secretary of Education at this time in our country's history. And I, and I say, you know, we do this work, and in education, there's not something that we do that's not uh, part of our equity initiative, because education is equity. It's not just a hypothetical anymore, ladies and gentlemen. The state is slowly seeking to replace you as the parent. If you, you know, don't don't provide your child breakfast. Oh, they got it at the school. They got the lunch. They got the dinner. Uh, they got the mental health care. They got, uh, you know, these affirmational teachings and the DEI policy. And, you know, before you know it, they have driven a wedge between you and your child. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to Saturday Night on the Circle. I'm your bohemian codger, Ethan Hatcher. Thanks for listening. Catch my podcast uploaded to WIBC.com and SaturdayNightOnTheCircle.Fireside.FM. By now, you've heard of Mary and Jeremy Cox, who are asking the Indiana Supreme Court to hold the state accountable after putting their son into a foster home for not affirming their gender pronoun choice, even after the state admitted that allegations of abuse were unsubstantiated. This is a story you'd expect to hear out of California, but now these policies are threatening Hoosier parents. Will the General Assembly intervene? Here to discuss the scandal is the investigative reporter for The Daily Signal and host of the Tony Kinnett cast, the rising star of conservative comedy. Terry. Tony Kennett joins us on the show. Hello, sir. Howdy, howdy. Well, this was a bit of a surprise to me coming out of, of all places, Indiana, where these Hoosier parents, Jeremy and Mary Cox, are asking the Supreme Court to intervene and hold the state accountable. Now, as I understand it, their child has already aged out of the system, so he's 18 and an adult and responsible for his own choices. But I was really curious to hear what your take on this story is and whether or not you think the Supreme Court can intervene and will the General Assembly intervene. So, first of all, I should say that in this kind of a case, it's not yet the place of the General Assembly to uh, intervene. You can't really pass retroactive law situations in in situations like this. Well, no, you can't Um, retroactively pass a law, but you can prevent it from happening in the future, which is why you would codify it. Like, my contention is, even if the Supreme Court does rule, then it would just be a Supreme Court ruling away from being overturned, just like Roe versus Wade. So you'd need to codify that through the General Assembly. At least that's that's my understanding. So here's the problem with this story. The problem with this story is that I knew about this a good six, seven, maybe eight months ago. And I'm going to be honest with you, did not pass the sniff test. It didn't. Something about the story was wrong. Now, I'm, I, I get at least 15 or 20 pitches on stories a week. It's very constant. And so I have a very rigorous set of standards for like following through a story because it's only, only one time that you get called out on writing the wrong kind of story or, or something not being right and you're done. And the issue that I had with this story is that it was a little too convenient for the narrative. It was. It was like, well, oh, so the entire thing, the entire Indiana DCS just intervened because these parents wouldn't call the kid by their pronouns. It sounded a little too politically oriented to be true. So I did what is called due diligence in the media world. I reached out to DCS. I reached out to several other individuals that may have some kind of involvement with the situation. And then I waited. And I didn't hear anything back that 
was leading me to believe that this was just an all-in-case kind of situation. And so I waited on it. And when I heard the story break, I was really surprised. Um, And I talked to the attorney general's office, and basically what I'm finding is it looks like even if there isn't a substantiated case of abuse, even if there isn't like a, like the, the parents coming home and like beating the kid with aluminum baseball bats, there are concerns that there was neglect nutritionally and whether the kid may or may not have been starved for starved. a good starved. Though that's the word that I used. There, but there are a lot of questions that are being asked. The DCS, from what I have from what I have seen, did not just roll in and go, "Hey, that kid is trans. You can't do that," and then carted the kid away. Okay, so the narrative I've understood is these parents claimed that their son also, in addition to gender dysphoria, had an eating disorder, and they were attempting treatment for both of those through conventional therapeutic means. Wouldn't there be receipts of those transactions getting medical attention for their son? It seemed like these parents from the outside were very concerned individuals for the health and safety and well-being of their child, even if that child disagreed with their judgment due to their religious beliefs. And they may be. They may absolutely be. I'm in no way insinuating that they did or they didn't. But what I am saying is that I have been told multiple things from trusted sources in various positions. Therefore, when there's a situation like that, the last thing I do is run out and go, this is happening and I can't believe the situation in Indiana and the gubernatorial candidates need to speak now because we don't know and the attorney general's office made it very clear to me that Fox News prematurely reported that story. And so I, I make sure that when I report a story that I check my stuff. There was a situation in which a Hamilton Southeastern teacher had a poster in her classroom from a student that she chose to keep on the wall that talked about uh, defunding the police. And as more information came out about that story, we updated it to the minute so that the most accurate information was out there. From, for just me, my own opinion in this situation, I believe that the story was rushed and we do not have all the facts out yet. Well, what investigation could we uh, could we follow this up with if the state's own investigation already concluded that abuse uh, accusations were not substantiated? Who reported this? That's another uh, question mark hanging in the air. So, first of all, there's there's an entire entire ecosystem of how legal policies work regarding mandatory reporting and and what constitutes abuse and what constitutes neglect and what constitutes uh, basically the, the difference in the very fine line between abuse and neglect, kind of like the difference between manslaughter and murder in regarding like intent. And there's a lot of questions to ask, but the child that is now an adult would have to agree to release those records and there would have to be a whole situation. Again, Indiana law is not the world's most up-to-date when it comes to handling investigations and accountability practice regarding things like Department of Child Service investigations. So I, it's a very complex bowl of spaghetti. I can't just reach in and pull out one noodle for you. It's, it's a huge mess of a system that's been allowed to persist for a long time. The reason I'm urging caution here is not because I want kids to be taken out because of transgender nonsense at all. The, the reason that I'm urging caution here is because if I'm going to go after and say this is happening, it's happening right here, right now, like it has been in Canada and in California, then we better have confirmation that that was the one and only thing, not just, well, there were no cases of abuse, but, okay, well, what about neglect? 
you know, what about other situations that might have been involved that may not have been a part of this specific case number? There's a lot that goes into these things. I mean, I believe I totally believe that there are some unanswered questions here because I watched the video where they presented their case and it seemed a little bit disingenuous in that they kept referring to this as their child when, in fact, this is now an adult that's free to make their own decisions, regardless of whether or not their parents approve. And they, they kept it hanging on. Well, you know, uh, uh, visitation was at their discretion. Like, yes, that's how adult relationships with your children function. And whether or not you have one, y- you know, is is up to you and that individual at that point like the state can't intervene but that doesn't mean that it wasn't unacceptable for dcs in that case to come in and then take the child away and put them into foster care into a place that affirmed their gender pronouns uh for a year and a half and obviously that's bad and obviously that needs to be codified again what i am saying here is do we have the actual dcs documentation that says we took this child out of the home because the parents were not affirming the child's gender i need to see that on the paper otherwise that's not why the kid was taken out again i've look i've worked in the public education system for a number of years and during that time i've heard Parents and teachers, I, I would like send their kid to detention because the kid did something stupid. And the parents would go, oh, actually, he sent him to detention because he just doesn't like that kid. And the parents can say that all they want. But until there is actually on the write-up form, I really hated Johnny. I sent him to detention so he could suffer. I'm not seeing it. So I'm urging caution because I'm forensic in my reporting. Okay. Well, only aim the rifle when there's a dedicated target. Well, I'm assuming all this information would come out in discovery if their case ends up going to the Supreme Court. I mean, wouldn't that be true? Uh, they have they have this degree. Beckett law firm. I think it's Lori Wyndham who's representing the couple. You know, in this petition, now it would be dependent on whether or not the Supreme Court goes for it. And I had thought well, that they, I had thought that the Supreme Court wouldn't pick this up because just like the uh, uh, Supreme Court nationally didn't pick up the issue of the rent moratorium after it had ended. Like you can only resolve these le- uh, legal issues if damage is actively occurring, not after the fact. So I, I well to answer your first question about discovery, yes and no, because again, you can make cases for again, we got Al Capone on tax evasion, remember? Right. So like as far as what comes out in discovery is not the same thing as you made a ruling and the ruling was actually for this reason, but you wrote down something else. It doesn't guarantee that when the Supreme Court invest you know, when the Supreme Court looks over the case, that we're gonna find damning evidence that clearly this is a child in deep distress of transgender, blah, 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 so we must save them from the home. Could that be there? Yes, it could be there. Is it likely that it's there? No. Just, I'm sorry. Again, and I I know the Indiana DCS has a lot of very far left-leaning individuals. I know there are a lot of individuals in the Indiana DCS and abroad that would be willing to do that. But if you're expecting some kind of like a pristine smoking gun that's extremely bold and flagrant, I'm here to tell you guys that a lot of individuals in the system don't do things like this because it's way too obvious and it's too stupid to actually make a move like this at this point in time. So you're saying we need to pump the brakes on this story and take it with a grain of salt going forward forward not saying taking it with a grain of salt i want to say look there's an allegation that's been made there is some credibility to the allegation i have heard conflicting reports from sources that i trust seriously individuals that i trust in various offices and systems have told me wildly different things and i'm not talking about a binary i'm talking about multiple different sets of circumstances and things that happened and motions that were filed 
Okay. So I'm going to wait so that I don't embarrass myself by going out in front of the state and saying, this has happened and it's terrible and blah, blah, blah. I'm taking the, if it's true, yeah, it's terrible. But if it's not true, this is why we need to vet things. Well, fair game, because I anticipate further de- uh, uh, further developments on this story. If it's true, this is something straight out of California, and I find that unacceptable in the heartland of America. No, I mean, it, unquestionably. And, if, and by the way, I have, if you might say, an interest in it being true, because my entire premise since I've worked at the Daily Signal is to prove that red states often have the bluest bureaucracies because they've been left untouched by Republican legislators for decades and have swollen with money and they think they can just do whatever they want. So it would fit my quote-unquote narrative for this story to be true. Why wouldn't it? But that's all the more reason to urge caution. I'm not trying to get people to storm the state house and demand action over something that may not be entirely the truth. You no. feel me? Yep, absolutely. Makes sense, Tony Kennett. Thanks for taking time out of your day and uh, spending it with here, us here on Saturday night on The Circle. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, Ethan. Thanks. You're listening to 93 WIBC. Stay tuned for more.